episode 140, dated Friday the 20th of January 2010, A Question of Morality. This episode, we're talking about the issue of moral choices in video games and how to date it's been mostly a case of good or evil, Gandhi or Hitler. Whichever famous vegetarian you model yourself after, you have to admit that Shades of Grey rarely rear their heads, and tonight we're going to look at some games that do, and try to outline ways that we could progress. To join our conversation tonight, we'd like to welcome back for his sixth appearance on Digital Cowboys, one of our very favourite guests, the man who regularly constructs fascinating animated YouTube lectures, Mr. Daniel Floyd. Welcome back, Dan. Has it been six already? Wow. It's been six. You want me to count through them? Or are you all right? Yeah, go on. Let's count through them. He has been in episode 101, Sex in Video Games, which is one of my favourites still. Episode 105, Can Games Be Art? I think that might have been my favourite. Also a very good one. Uh, episode 114, Room 101, Independence. Episode 122, Story and Narrative in Games. And this one, episode 140. Dan's next lecture is on exactly this subject and based on an article named Designing Ambiguous Moral Choice, written by previous DC guest games designer James Portnow. He and James also made previous lectures outline the difference between a problem and a choice in a game, so we thought we'd explore some of these ideas and get a handle on what might be more progressive for future games. we've had so far in terms of games if we if we look at basically how close they've come in in terms of representing what actual choice is like in real life in comparison to what you actually get in the game it's 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 much more sort of a, a very stark black and white so whichever games you guys are thinking of that we're going to miss out do write in an email because we've probably forgotten some other important ones deus ex one of the first games that you could actually make some proper choices in terms of, a, of an action game and it would affect your storyline and they actually made a big enough game to incorporate various different ways through and various different skill sets so you could just go in all guns blazing or you could be sneaky and there were, was there other specific moral quandaries on this did you have to choose whether or not to kill people I don't remember that much of it it's been 10 years nearly no I mean I all I remember about that game it was never a good idea to go in all guns blazing mm. and the choice was actually to be quite sneaky but yeah like I say, it's been a, God, a fair bit of time now but it was unusual at that point. I think it was in development at the same time that uh, GoldenEye came out. So that GoldenEye itself was one of the first games which actually gave you the option to not just go in guns blazing and to be crafty with it. So Deus Ex was pretty progressive for a PC one. However, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, that was probably the first one where, you know, there was a, the, the big kerfuffle. That one and, in fact, Fable. They were, I remember actually reading up on those two uh, before the Xbox was even out and going, right, this is worth getting an Xbox for. Remember, those were uh, Xbox and PC only, weren't they? Yep. Yeah, they were. All right. So, Knights of the Old Republic basically introduced us um, through Bioware, who had done things like Baldur's Gate before, to a very kind of black and white, you know, perfectly outlined by Star Wars, Jedi and Sith way of doing things. So it, it, you've got the Sith way and you've got the Jedi way, and it, it's just as straightforward as the movies. And I, I can't remember many scenarios where I was actually torn on something because it was what you talk about in the uh, games and choices uh, 
lecture, Dan, is how a lot of choices are in fact problems in games. And we'll, we'll go into that in a second. But in the case of Knights of the Old Republic, it was a case of, right, well, if you want to be a Jedi, you want to, you know, get all the, the points in that, that particular alignment, then be as nice as possible in all the dialogue tree stuff. And you always spare the life of people that you could otherwise, you know, kill. And, um, the only interesting scenarios came up when you weren't trying to be a straightforward Sith and just barge through the place killing everyone, but at the same time you were still trying to be a little bit mercenary. The uh, Something that's referred to as the Han Solo effect, <laughs> which KOTOR did quite well, but still could have done a hell of a lot better. I think they're going to try and do a bit, a bit better in uh, the Old Republic MMO. Yeah, that was a good start. Just, just before we uh, go on then, let me just ask with that, you know, the morality side of things, you know, Paragon versus Renegade, mm. which side do you always fall on? You know, I... A lot of people don't play these games uh, under the evil pretense. I mean, I, I've never been one. I've never it's been comfortable unpleasant, that choice. It? it is unpleasant, but I, I've always gone with the good, you know, playing the good guy. But it's also unpleasant playing just goody two shoes all the time. If you're just sort of wandering through, going, you know, just being nice. Most of the time, in all seriousness, I forego the uh, the bonuses of of, uh, of going for the extremes, and I actually go in the middle and be a bit more hand soloish, a bit more shades of grey. I try to craft out of whatever game can give to me some sort of middle ground sometimes I'm nice and sometimes I'm nasty it, it, it makes it a bit more fun to not immediately go right well I suppose I've got to answer yes on this one it's almost like what would I do I like to do the uh, middle ground if I can but uh, I don't know just something about I sort of naturally gravitate toward doing the good choices and I don't know if that's mm. because I'm used to just playing hero characters or yeah. uh, sometimes if I'm really enjoying a game I'll go back and play it through evil just to kind of see the other yeah. side of things but but do you ever enjoy it as much well by that point i've kind of played through the game already so i've kind of seen it all it's, yeah it's <laughs> so i guess it never has quite as much shine as that first playthrough but the problem is they can't really reward it you i mean usually if you're going through the middle your reward is most likely going to be cash isn't it because you're basically being selfish a lot of the time well, you're not being actively evil but you're certainly not being nice and, and charitable to other people either. So what you'll end up with is a large amount of items. I think it's a little more rewarding as a player, though. I mean, you because I mean, you feel like you're making choices that you really make, mm. and so and you may not be optimized as a character by mm. the end. You might not have all, all the light or dark side powers that you wanted, but you're still kind of actually playing through like you would like to, and you're you don't feel like you're just kind of checking off the light or dark side list. Yeah, just arbitrarily going, right, gotta be good, gotta be good, gotta be good yeah. the whole way you're through. Playing, yeah. Yeah, you're playing them as if they're actual moral choices and not as if they're kind of like a elements of a talent tree and you've just decided which alignment, which path you're going to try to go down and then try to play the game as if you're checking down that way. Well, if you were watching a movie and it was a person who was just a paragon doing nice things all the time, you would get so <laughs> bored. Be like, oh, just stop being such a boy scout. It'd be like, that, that's why the Superman movies rarely work because there's very little to him. He's just so nice all the time. <laughs> But Mass Effect, for me specifically, my version of Shepard is one of my favourite game characters of all time because I, w the way she acted and the hand solo effect that I that that they managed to get across there, I didn't get the uh, the the Paragon rewards um, or the Renegade ones. I sort of you know ended up just sat in the middle. But in terms of game and dialogue, it felt real enough that that was rewarding in and of itself. Isn't this exactly you know we'll be obviously we're touching on Daniel's point here about choices in games, but mm. I'm always a sucker for wanting to get the most powers out of my my game, and that yeah. normally nine nine times out of ten will lead me down to actually picking every single good choice. So yeah, I, I do actually know what you mean. I'd, I'd love to play the the, the kind of hand solo effect just down the middle, but the back end of it, I'm always just looking at that skill tree or that that yeah. item set that I know that if I go 100% Paragon. That you know, there's there's going to be you just get big, more stuff. Yeah, this big reward at the back end of it. It's just going to be this really cool weapon. Now, yeah. whether it's it's worth me sacrificing actually uh, somewhat enjoyment getting to that point, 
is a, is the conversation I think, you know, is somewhat the conversation we're about to have on this. See, for me, it's not. I'd rather fight harder and win the game, you know, th- off my own steam and feel like it was actually my choices than uh, go, hey, I've got this, you know, win stick. But is that not really a problem of the developer themselves? Because they never really, I mean, taking the middle ground, I, you could even say this in life, taking the middle ground in life kind of gets you nowhere. You're kind of like friends with some people, you're not really hated. And this, the games always do that. If you just take the middle ground, you, you just kind of you're slightly underpowered. Mm. I mean, yes, you don't have the win stick, but you, you're not even really aiming for anything other than just to see the back end of the game. I guess uh, you've made the moral choices yourself. Well, not necessarily. I wasn't playing through Mass Effect and thinking all I want to see is the game. I was I was hoping to see what I would do in that particular scenario. I think that definitely paid off for me. How did it feel for you playing like really really good Shepard? Well, like you said, you end up becoming just a goody two shoes. Of the yes. Republic. I mean, I, my wife some... is that goody two shoes by habit. She is like <laughs> ultra diplomat, and she's just about on the she's on the back end of Mass Effect now, and just watching her be as nice as pie. And then she'll come out of a scenario and she'll go, "Wait a second, I got two Renegade points there. What the hell was that about?" Yeah, see, I'm I'm lucky. I've just literally finished up playing Dragon Age, and um, there's everybody they kind take of... a shot. He mentioned Dragon <laughs> Age. Yes, but they they kind of deal with that situation in a different way. If you become the goody shoes two shoes and you have party members in your party they you do i mean some people you gain a morality point of yeah well done you help that person out yeah but other people such as um, morrigan who's you know doesn't really care for that type of behavior she'd rather just get on with the you know the job that he's doing uh you know for later on in the game you actually lose points so you end up in a situation where if you have your favorite sets of characters and you're you're going around doing all these side quests that really just supplement to the story itself you have a real fear Literally, and this will happen when your characters will just go, no, that's enough. Look, if you just, if you're going to be this kind of guy, I don't want to hang out with you and just leave your party. So there is actually a fairly harsh punishment for um, (laughs) being the goody two shoes all the time in uh, Dragon Age. But let's say I I think we can probably get on a bit more depth of the the topic now. Yeah. Um, And let's just briefly go on to action games because we've talked about uh, RPGs and that's, it's, there's a lot of sort of you know dialogue trees and things to be handled there and a lot of interpersonal relationships but there's a a couple of action games that have handled uh choices it it almost seems like you're going to get the same game pretty much either way with just a few slight tweaks here or there infamous i'm going to go ahead and say as an action game the thing that's basically going to change there is you're going to get slightly different powers one about restraint and one about destruction and people are going to react to you differently and you're going to feel different now the problem for me was when I was trying to be nice to begin with as Cole, I didn't really feel particularly well disposed to the people around me. My girlfriend was a whiny bitch. My friend was a, a fat, selfish shit, and I couldn't stand him either. And I couldn't actually, there was no choice for me in this. I was stuck with these people. So I thought, right, well, I'll be mean. But I wasn't mean enough, and, and everyone still reacted to me pretty much the same. The, uh, just the people were kind of different, and I, I felt really impersonal about the whole thing. Like, I was just going around the place wrecking the joint, and um, it, 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 I don't know, Infamous was one of those games that really didn't stick with me. Yeah, but it doesn't, doesn't, like, towards the end of the game, once you've got fairly full power either way of, you know, the Paragon or the Renegade, mm. um, you know, the, the people in the streets, you know, clapped and applaud the, the, yeah. the, you know, the fact that you're there, and if you're playing, obviously, the Renegade, they, yeah, they throw stones at you and run in fear to make mm. you feel bad. Bioshock's the other one where uh, your your choices, and you actually mentioned this in, in your uh, uh, lecture, Daniel, let the little girl go free or eat her soul. I never saw the bad ending of that. I mean, I th- assume, do you get like torn to shreds by all the little sisters that you betrayed or something like that? Spoilers. It's been years. <laughs> I know if you're good, you get quite a nice touching ending. But it's, oh, I mean, yeah. 
what, what, what do you basically get for all that Adam in the game? As I understand it, the rewards you get either way are actually kind of close. It's just, I think mm. if you harvest them right then, you get more Adam on the spot. Mm. If you save them, you will get more Adam kind of in gifts from them later. Oh, wow. So I think it kind of evens out. But it, just the problem, another problem with the game was is that whichever choice you made, it didn't really affect the game much at all. Yeah. It didn't, it was just still kind of the same game and, much like the only thing that changed was how you dealt with those with the little sisters specifically. Mm. And that's the tough thing about having to do that in an action game because they really can't change it that dramatically. You know, if they, if they spend you know years coding this one particular explosive action game and then make it so that you can just walk through every situation, you won't see a single explosion. <laughs> you bring up the idea of uh, if you're going through an FPS and uh, if you ever had the opportunity not to shoot people but instead to give them a flower, what, what the hell is that going to do to the internal mechanics of the game? Yeah, it's not really a choice that's offered to you. you this, there's no real possible way to make a completely free will sort of moral system in a game. You, you have to code in all of the different possible diverging paths that the player could possibly go on. Yeah. And it's just soon, and that just leads to more time that the company needs to be able to develop all those materials, the, the new areas, the new scenarios that happen. Yeah. And that costs a lot of money, which they usually don't have. It's just not something that they can really do. And so, uh, I guess we'll go into that more later. Yeah. So in your original lecture, you were talking about the difference between problems and choices. So if, could you outline that for us a bit clearer? All right. Let's see if I can summarize it really quick. Basically, when you hear a game studio or developer or some uh, guy who's uh, directing a game talking about choices that you can make in their game, they usually address them all kind of as the same way, all of them as choices, but they aren't really. Mm. Decision-making in a game really kind of comes in two forms. There are problems and there are choices. Problems are there to be solved. There is a right answer to this. Say the guys from Blizzard said, we have all kinds of choice in our game. You can choose what army you, you want to wear. Mm. You can uh, choose what class you want to be. And yeah, there are some of those are choices that you can make. Those choices have impact on the game. You can choose what armor you want to wear, but there is a best set of armor to wear for this particular scenario or this particular mm. class that you're playing. There is a best set of armor to wear, and the puzzle is trying to figure out what that best armor is. But problems... They may kind of look like choices on the surface, but but they really are just like their gameplay mechanics. They are a puzzle to figure out. There is a correct there's a correct answer that you're supposed to try to find. Choices are much more ambiguous. It's kind of like sort of choosing between apples and oranges or things that you like. When there really isn't a right answer, that's really a choice. We're talking about how it affects the gameplay mechanics and that then becomes a problem rather than a choice. Does it ever happen that a choice can also affect the gameplay mechanics that you can think of? I would and think it, that. I don't know if it can... I'm sure there are different, lots of different ways that it can go. Aside from just giving you extra abilities. Because yeah, yeah. you're particularly good. One of the dangers of tying choices into gameplay mechanics is because the player will probably eventually, especially if you show it to them in stats and such, they will figure out what that correlation between 
the choices they're making and the gameplay mechanics are. Yeah. And, be- and just because of the way we gamers are, we will look and see, it's like, okay, I make this choice and this happens. Yeah. I want this to keep happening more. I want to make this choice that's going to give me the most money or that's going to give me the most light side points or that's going to just result in this. And the player loses sight completely of any moral question that's actually put in front of them. You're not even thinking about, like, the actual moral situation of should I side with this guy or should I help? Well, you're this not guy even thinking out? of them as people anymore. They're just lines yeah, of code not. fit to help you get a yeah, slightly better just, line of code. They're just but, NPCs that are offering potentially different rewards yeah. or skill ups and stuff, and, and thus the choice really doesn't have any power at all. It's just kind of problem solving, basically. So a good choice would be one where you actually stop thinking of them as, as a line of code and actually start thinking of them as little in-game people that you have to work out whether you want them yeah. good things to happen to them or bad things. But the, the thing is, I mean, all that still is, I mean, I, I still say it's a choice. I mean, you, you still, I mean, as, I think morality is a whole different thing here, and, and that's ultimately what this whole podcast is about. But I, I think when you're looking at choices, you know, even if you know that if I follow the good route, I'm going to get better rewards, and, and then if I follow the bad route, you still do have a choice. I mean, it, it may not lead to anything drastically that different, but the choice has still been taken in your own mind. As in, we had this conversation earlier. Ultimately, we all normally choose to go good. And it doesn't always matter just that even if the, I mean, I know for, for example, Infamous was actually a, um, a, a rare case of uh, scenario where, um, the bad choice was actually the one where you got better, better weapons, more power. Yeah. Uh, where the good choice was actually the slightly, you know, you had to incapacitate people and, you know, and, and not just go around killing everything, you know, and which, by the sounds of it, it sounded a lot more fun taking the evil route. Actually, as I recall, KOTOR uh, made you much more devastating in terms of combat. You just barge in there, chucking lightsabers around and throwing out force lightning, and it was actually, it made fighting a lot easier, so it was effectively solving a problem by answering in a specific yes. way. So it is a choice, but I, I agree with you. I mean, it, that's completely different from morality in games, because um, that really is just a problem solving. It's like, well, what do I just want to go down this route? Mm. Um, morality is a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish. <laughs> Yeah. Well, ultimately, if it's for it to be moral, it has to actually hold up a window to life, and we don't usually get the chance to go around choosing whether we're going to have lightning powers or, you know, we can fly because we're that good. We got angel wings. Well, it's it's more a case of how to treat people, and if it actually gets you thinking along the lines of how would you think in real life, that then becomes much more of a choice situation and much more, you know, morality then enters into it. But I mean, I, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say, morality is at the actual kind of the peak of the mountain in the in a in a choice decision because, like I said, there is no clear route to take. I mean, you you know, which side of the mountain do I go down? I don't know because you know I, I can't see how to get to the bottom here. Do I go down to the left path or the right path? Now, the normal choices we have, if it's just good or evil, mm. that's a fairly clear path because you you are you going to walk down the path which is dark and dingy and yeah. you know it looks. You know, it looks like if you're going to go down there, you're going to die. Or you're going to go down the path that's, you know, bright and sunny. Mm. It's a fairly simple choice. It, it may be just a, you know, a, a problem solving at that point. Yeah. Rather than a morality choice, where it's literally, you can't see either path. It's just two blank doors and says, right, left or right. Well, it's, it's, n- it's not usually blank doors. You don't get your cho- given two invisible options. But uh, you, you do basically get, get given situations where you have to sort of extrapolate from what you've been given a choices of, what might happen. And sometimes in the case of, I think you're probably going to mention Dragon Age, it takes you off in a direction what? where you're like, no, wait, wait a second, I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. And okay, that well then, has got to be good, right? Then throw some examples up. I mean, what, what are we talking? If we, if we moved on to morality at this point, if we, if we left the kind of the basic choices behind us? 
Um, I think we've pretty much summed up getting uh, choices based on gear and how incredibly simplistic they can they can make it, especially in action games, where uh, infamous really this this felt like when when uh, at the beginning when you got this crate of food and, and it goes vroom and it shows you both choices like perfectly outlined with you know circled repeatedly in permanent marker and it goes you could give these poor and hungry people food or you can take it and eat it for yourself. And, you know, it suddenly goes all red and demonic, and you're like, well, I wonder which one's, you know, going to be basically the nice thing to do on this one. There's no shades of grey in that whatsoever. And, and yeah, that's basically how a lot of games have, have been handling it up till now. And a lot of people may be able to, as you were saying before, Tony, a lot of people may be able to kind of see past, and as we were talking about before the... I, I was Maybe it was before the show started, or maybe we talked about it already in the show, about how we were each, kind of how we approached certain games like in mass effect like alex chose to play through it to making the decisions that he would actually make because that's what he wanted to do mm. whereas a lot of people aren't going to be able to resist the urge or mm. resist the call of those great powers and abilities down the light or dark side tree that we really that we mm. really want to get so there's always kind of you're torn between those two things i guess one of the consequences of tying in rewards and kind of in-game mechanic rewards to choices is that a lot of people will just have problems the choices just kind of sit in the background and aren't important or that meaningful. If you, you go onto any forum message board, anything like that, you find the thread where people are asking, should I? Or should I? And then they literally tell you, uh, this is what you get if you get that. Yeah. And then look down the, uh, look down the posts as everyone says, or where everyone says, Oh, I chose this one. And nine times out of 10, the reason they said that they, that chose that one is for the reward they got. It's for the, I want, I was going light side. I was going dark side. And so it just, no one is actually debating the morality of the situation. No one's debating whether or not, well, this guy was a real, seemed like a really great guy. And I felt, and I felt like this was kind of the, no one's, no one's thinking about that at all. Mm. So it, at least not on forums. Yeah. (laughs) They might on our forums, but everyone on our forums seems to know what they're talking about. But then, I mean, what I would say to you to, to that point is, and if we remember what games were, were like before, you know, this last you know, couple of generations, there, were, there was no such thing as choice. It was just a very pre-scripted program. You will follow this person's story. I and mean, we were having this, um, just Alex and me having this discussion off air, how, um, you know, an Eastern developed RPG versus a Western developed RPG, yeah. where one's very much a, you know, an Eastern, it's very much you, you will follow this path of dialogue, but, you know, I present you, this is the story I'm telling you. Yeah, you'll notice but, that none of the uh, games we've mentioned so far have been from Japanese developers. True, true. Where the Western style is more about, well, we'd, we'd like to lead you down this path, but, you know, there's going to be a bunch of side quests and then whatnot, but, you know, you, you'll have to make your own, you know, destiny at this point, but not necessarily affect the entirety of the main storyline. Mm. So I, I think we, we have obviously jumped a huge uh, leap over the last, say, you know, I don't know, 20 years. But um, my next question to you guys then, we, you know, do people actually want, um, you know, the, the morality of the choice? You know, I, I think a lot of people are, are perfectly happy with their, their infamous, you know, I just want to play the good guy. I just want to play the bad guy. And what can I get from that? I mean, I, as I we, think we, people talk about it a bit more if, if there's something worth talking about. I think the reason that Infamous got so much talk was people couldn't believe how um, open on the surface it literally was. Do you kill the innocent people or do you save them? Yeah. You know, it, it was like shoved in your face in such a simplistic form. Right? Um, I always felt like Bioshock, although you can look at it now and go, well, you know, do you do you 
kill the you know the small girls or or do you um you know save them and well when you first start doing it it's such a hideous image you're like oh god these horrible little girls i mean do i really do they they seem miserable do i really want to let them keep walking around like that and you might have ended up accidentally sucking out their essence because you're like i've got to put this girl out of her misery as opposed to doing what would have ultimately been the right thing just letting her go well if you remember the story about that was that um they they never they never were at one point little girls they were just slugs Mm. <laughs> believe it or not and you but that to, wasn't getting to people <laughs> yeah that wasn't getting to people you know that, that, that choice really was like well I just killed a slug whatever what do I care about a slug you know it's, it was more more about if you put a, a small little girl you know something that represents your, your, your small little sister then that's a bigger choice but surely at that point I was like well why even if the rewards here are going to be bigger and greater for me and certainly instant gratification I'm, I'm not going to go around killing small girls. It's just it, it wasn't me. So it's almost like that choice was made up for me. I don't I don't know what they could have offered me um, right at the start of that game, saying, well, look, well, if you kill these girls and you get this really really cool thing, I don't think I, have, I would have really ever taken that route. But one game or a section of a game, in fact, that's uh, happened in the past few months with a uh, very specific moral choice to make, had absolutely no reward or uh, punishment for uh, whichever one you made. In fact, it was so far away, it may as well have been a cutscene. And what was that? No Russian. <laughs> oh. Uh, that's a moral oh. choice. Do you shoot the uh, completely innocent civilians under the delusion that Infinity Ward have made it so that you have to blend into the terrorist group? Like, there's any, there's that kind of subtlety in this Michael Bay kind of film. <laughs> or do you, um, you know, basically just walk along with it, witnessing this horrible massacre and feeling sick to your stomach, and then basically get shot at the end with absolutely no recourse? Like, like I said, um, it's, it, I figured that that, that was more of a, a cold hearted marketing ploy to get people to actually talk more about the game. For this particular scenario, I've made my uh, opinions clear on that before. I, I still don't think choice really came on. Yeah, you have the choice to skip the level, but you know that. But you that's, couldn't shoot the terrorists. You couldn't yeah, do anything exactly. other than be dr- it, drawn through. It this. was a scripted so- storytelling experience. There was no choice in that. Your choice was just not to play it, which, you know, <laughs> <is a> crappy <laughs> uh, choice decision to be made. Really. There is one uh, game we have uh, not mentioned yet, which actually does have some interesting Shades of Grey scenarios, and it's an action game, uh, and that's Grand Theft Auto 4, where there's uh, four or five uh, scenarios in the game where you have to decide whether to kill or set free a person, or choose to, uh, you know, you have to kill one of two people. And that was one game that people mentioned, because they, you know... I think I remember someone on Giant Bomb said that they stopped for a good 20 minutes in mm-hmm. the car and just sat there thinking about who they wanted to kill because they had built up both characters. And that is masterful use of storytelling. Definitely. Not a fan of the game, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember there was a, specifically the Dwayne or Playboy X one was, well, was good because it didn't seem like either one was a good scenario. It was kind of a, a lesser of two evils. Well, then, you know, let's, let's go around the room. Who chose what? I mean, that's a fairly famous scenario. And if you haven't completed the game, sorry, but you know, you've had, what, two years now? Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I chose to kill uh, Playboy X because he just annoyed the shit out of me. But that's hardly a, a good decision to make, isn't it? I can kill someone just because they annoy me. But, yeah. But, no, that, that was because that's probably what you, if you were in that situation, heightened circumstances though it may be, that's more of a realistic decision than if I kill this guy, I'll probably get his luxury apartment. All right, so who did you go for? I, exactly the same reason. Playboy X seemed like a despicable person. <laughs> I, I, I just like, I will take pleasure in killing you. But I can understand why a lot of other people would have difficulty. Daniel? I had already... They both kind of annoyed me, and I'd already heard about the apartment thing, so I just went ahead and killed Playboy X as well. But you did that for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. you see. Yeah, see. You did that was, for loot. 
basically, yeah. So, optim that kind of that leads to another point is that ambiguous ambiguity makes moral choices a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, just you guys didn't know about the apartment thing, and you may not have really cared about it, but it's an, kind of an unexpected unexpected consequences are just kind of what real moral choices are made of. I mean, that's what happens. You usually don't know right away what's going to happen when you make this choice, and you don't mm. immediately have a plus two to sanctimony or whatever pop up when you make <laughs> the right choice. So, so I mean, that that's kind of an important element of making really good choices in a game, and I think this particular choice that uh, Rockstar did for Grand Theft Auto 4 was uh, very well done. Hmm. Isn't it interesting how most of these moral choices seem to be about killing people or not? <laughs> it's, there's very little other moral choices scenarios. I mean, how many moral choices do we make on a yearly basis which don't involve murder in some capacity? I suppose anything else would seem trivial, and it's like, why am I deciding what you know whether to cheat on my wife or not in this game? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant now to bring Dragon Age up because there's there's just literally dozens of examples that actually yeah. do follow around that. And so, like as I said before, you know, you can actually upset your your companions with you just by making stupid little decisions. Mm. I mean, a, a, an easy one to say, you know, just the everyday life choice. And I know you've actually got to this bit as well, Alex. So we can talk about it. Is the, the bit where there's a guy of a uh, a a stall selling food and weapons. Yeah, yeah. And you know. The, the conversation basically lead, you know, leads is do you uh, intervene in this situation because the, the woman is basically hungry she wants to feed her kids but the guy on the stall is charging loads of money for his food the reason he is charging loads of money for his food is because there is a war on and there's not much food he can get there and what little food he does have he's inflated his prices because people will pay the money now the choice you are given is who's wrong in this situation and Obviously, playing the good guy, you want to say, well, look, you know, just give your food away to it. But then he makes a fairly compelling argument, like, well, if I just did that, then no, there would be no food here. Well, no, you and just said he inflated the prices. What's wrong with just charging a decent amount? Just enough to be able to get more food in. Could, can you convince him to do that? In the bit? You can. You can actually go down the persuade um, yeah, path. And, and just say, make it a bit cheaper. Yeah, dude, I mean, just, you know... There is a war on. There is a war, yeah. These kids are hungry. But, you know, that's a that's a kind of just a, a small decision. That's an everyday life decision. That's not, mm. I suppose, ultimately, if he never gave them any food, then the family might die. But that's, that's you know, extrapolating the, the conversation far beyond what it actually yeah. is. And it's just a simple everyday choice. Kind of the reasons why we're looking forward to um, Heavy Rain so much, because it, it seems to be playing into that ground mm. a lot more. It's like, do you get the kid to do this homework or not? And if you do or don't, what will that play within the game itself later yeah. on? I expect we're going to be coming back to Dragon Age a lot during this podcast, just because mm. for all the different things we talk about, I think that Dragon Age is kind of the pinnacle of what moral choice games have been so far. I think it's the best one we've got at this point. It's um, Well, here's the other thing. It's such a massive game that you couldn't possibly expect to see it all the way through, see everything in it all the way through, the first yeah. or the second or even third time you play it. Um, and, and that is the uh, one of the problems that James Portnow... Uh, talks about in his article that if you're coding a game and you're on a giant team and it's going to take you four years to code, do you really want to be coding huge swathes of gameplay that no one may even see? I mean, how much money does that actually, is that going to cost for the average game to, to do things which will actually, you know, physically change your game and give you, send you on a completely different path to somewhere completely different? Or, 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 you know, have huge amounts of dialogue and character interactions with other characters you otherwise wouldn't have even met 
based on a choice tree that sort of branches outwards. If you start with like one choice and then go down to the bottom and there's a row of a hundred different final outcomes, you know how Dragon Age has, you know, all those different endings. Ultimately, um, you know, the, the, the choices you make along the way, you know, each and every choice is, it represents dollar signs and, and most studios are not prepared to do that yet. That's true. It's, Games like Dragon Age and Fallout and ones like that have the advantage from the get-go of where everybody involved immediately knows that there's a lot of there's a lot of this game that many people aren't going to see. Mm. So it's a lot easier to rationalize making extra stuff that not everybody will see. It's a lot easier to convince your boss to let you work on some more stuff that not everyone not everybody will see. And I mean, Dragon Age had its own advantages. I mean, how long did they work on that game? How long did it take to make? It? Oh, uh, since 2005, so yeah. five years. But they say they announced it in 2004, so I mean it may have been even longer than that. I mean, and heck, they might, that means that means they might have been working on it since 2003. I mean, do you know what came out in 2003? Like Wind Waker came out in 2003. <laughs> what a game, though. Uh. Panzer Dragoon Orda came out in 2003. <laughs> Warcraft mm. 3: The Frozen Throne came out in, in 2000. Beyond Good and Evil. This game forever, and that and most studios do, cannot afford to work yeah. on a game. That long. It's the so, same argument with Blizzard. You know how they can produce such high quality games is because they can take it to the drawing board, work on it for years, and if it doesn't work out, scrap it, come back to it, and you know work on it for another two years. Yeah. A lot of studios do not have that luxury. So yeah. I mean. So we can look to Dragon Age and say, you guys did a lot of things right, and there's a lot of things that studios can learn from you. But just because Dragon Age did it so well doesn't necessarily mean that it should be easy for everybody else. Yes. Yeah. a caveat. Something you guys just mentioned, in fact, I did too a couple of times, uh, came into that, and that's consequences. Now, that is the toughest part, because as I said, to to program all of these consequences into a game so that they're lasting and you genuinely feel it is almost impossible to actually dot every I and have your character go through the motions, you know, go through one game where he's goody-two-shoes and another game where he is racked with guilt for the murder of this person or that person, even though he's killing other people. I mean, that's the problem. With Grand Theft Auto, you could not feel guilty about killing person A if you're massacring people in the street. <laughs> to give you the choice to do that and have Nico going, oh, I'm not sure whether to kill this person. Um, it, it's, it was really difficult, and especially Grand Theft Auto 4, those scenarios where you could kill person A or person B. When you kill person A, person B finds you up and went, man, that was cold. I'm not going to talk to you again. So they wrote both of them out of the game at the same time so that you wouldn't actually have to live with it beyond any sort of, I wonder what ever happened to that other person yep. scenario. You, you, you wouldn't have to live with the consequences there. But isn't this the conceit that we always make with games? I mean, even if we look at Uncharted 2, you know, Nathan Drake, you know, we we love this guy. We think he's you know he's a, oh he's a cool guy. You know, you know he's just, the tits. Yeah, he's he's you know he's just a really nice guy. I'd like to hang out with him. 
Mm. At the same time, in, the joke is that you kill a thousand people along yeah. the way. Now, would you? He's want a to be, mass yeah, murderer. <laughs> would you actually want to hang out with a guy that's just killed a thousand people, no, whether they be troops or not? You know, that that's not. So you have to make a seat at that point. Say, Every oh, single scenario sense. is self-defense. They do shoot at him first. <laughs> oh, There's sure. never. I mean, except for all those times in Uncharted 2 where you sneak up on them and throttle them, and then all their mates shoot at you. But. Uh, yeah, so I suppose actually Uncharted 2 is much darker because you do have this, uh, the possibility to actually walk through the game killing people silently and quietly where, you know, in, in some incredible other game you could possibly yeah, but, have talked it through with each and every one of them. Yeah, but see, you see, we've had this conversation about the Metal Gear Solid franchise. The fact is they actually give you a, a dart gun that actually, you know, sedatizes people. Um, yeah, yeah. So you can actually, you know, work... If, if you really want to take the moral high ground, you could actually finish the game without killing one person, maybe apart from uh, the boss. Yeah, the bosses, they, they, they go into, you know, you, you have to kill them. But it's... But, you know, once again, the choice is it's a lot harder to do it that way. Mm. So... Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of not having to live with consequences, Fable, you know those fantastic games where you can do anything, and and it and the uh, the details of your exploits show on your face. You know every scar, every line, every you know uh, your, your hairstyles, and, all, and how evil you are, or how good you are. Your your is displayed on your body as a record. And yet, if you're like ah. I have been so very, very evil. But I feel like being good. And spe- specifically in Fable 1, I'm not sure if you could, after a certain point you couldn't do this in Fable 2. Just go to the church and give them all your money and suddenly you'll soon be good again. And ev- sounds like life. Yeah, but everything <laughs> in Fable is reversible. And if it wasn't reversible in the original game, when they brought out the DLC, that was reversible. Yeah, Dead dog I- suddenly comes to life again. <laughs> you know, you, you, you were ugly, now you're beautiful again. You were fat, now you're thin again. You were old, now you're young again. You know, I think the interesting thing... And the worst thing, at the end of the first game, if you keep going through from the very, very end, you were a man, now you're a woman. What yes. the hell?! But I think the more interesting thing that was that when he first talked about the game, he was talking about how they were going to deal with, you know, the consequence of death and the fact that you you will be, you know, horribly scarred by the time, you know, the end of that game. Mm. Um, once, you know, if you've died, say, five or six times throughout your adventure. Yeah. And they had to backtrack on that quite a bit because the general public's view was like, well, I don't want to play a character, you know, and obviously I'm going to die in this situation. Yeah. And, and what he actually found out through doing it through the test studies were when they had that on, people were just reloading their saves. They were like, well, I died there. I don't want to look like this hideous freak, and I don't want people to be reacting to me in a village, you know, running away because I have all these scars. Um, and they ended up taking that feature out of the game because people were literally just reloading the game. And I, I, I think this, this comes on to the point I want to make is save states in games have a lot to to ask for, beca- yeah. to answer for. Because I, I always feel like you know, and you know, I, I'm guilty of doing this with uh, to some extent in um, Dragon Age as well. Where you know, I want to, I kind of, my curiosity as a gamer, I want to see both sides of the situation. How, how things would have played out if I'd done this, this story or this side of the story. Mm. Um, and it's, and it's so easy to do. You just make it, you know, a hard save state, you know, play forward, watch the scenario, come back, you know, re, reload from where you were, watch the other scenario and decide from that. But decision. surely that kills any sense of relating but, to the narrative. Of course it does. But you know, this, once again, this is what we're talking about, the gamer in, in us, where the games that, do this and, and not too many do where it, it literally just as soon as you've made a decision it's a it's a save bang there you go there so is no treating way. once again a choice as a problem mm-hmm. well well you're working yeah, out how best to have, yeah but you have a bigger problem at that point because you don't have any option to actually you know move mm. you know, just to jump back because the choice has been taken and, you know you, you have to be sure with the decision you've made 
And on that note, one of the games that's really interesting me, of course, Heavy Rain, the idea being that if your character dies, you have to live with that as the other characters, and that you could just, you know, that all of them could die, and and that's the end of the game, and that narratively is the story of you. That fascinates me, and if it's like Fahrenheit, and every time you make a choice, it saves, and you can't go back, that would be great. I think you, you can do, like, straightforward saves in, in Fahrenheit, can't you? It's been yeah, a I think so. Hmm. But I, I, I really wish they'd just drop that and go, you know what? That's what you did. And just go, this is your one save game. We have saved it at this point. That's the last thing you did. You know, start again and then carry, carry on through. If, if you, if you want to do it differently, start the game again. Why? So, so Daniel, what, what are you wanting from games then? Yeah, what do you think will actually push the medium forward? Is it more, more about having these, these more lofty, higher decisions rather than just, you know, good or evil? I would like to see choices kind of become a little bit more meaningful like a just the kind i'd love to see choices appear in games that people will be will talk about in forums not just like discussing like what they did for what reward they they could get but Mm. debating the actual morality of the decision itself like was this the right like is this the right thing to do that's a big ask to ask people kids on forums to start discussing yes it is morality (laughs) because so many of them so gleefully said oh i just went you know i shot my way through that bit in uh no russian i don't care it's just a game and that's the attitude that really is going to kill any sense of of morality entering into games because it's so many people just don't give a shit we like to believe that everyone is as intelligent as they are on our forums, so let's go with that scenario for a second. Absolutely would love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it is true, though, that there are people who... I mean, I, I am going to be going on just for making another video on this article James wrote about, kind of making choices in games more ambiguous, like more, choices more like they are in real life, where you hmm. actually have to think about it, and so you, and kind of offering chances for the gamer to really kind of think about his the way he feels about a certain issue, or the way he the direction he wants to go. But a lot of gamers may not want that at all. I mean, a lot of guys may just want to be able to, now that we have the internet and we have game facts, we like to figure out, to kind of like make a system, <laughs> to figure out what the system behind all these things mm-hmm. are, what like what our rewards can be, and we want to play through them. They quantify the it, they we, make a yeah, match. We, we want to quantify stuff. We want to get the results. By the end of the game, we want to have this powered up guy with these particular items and everything. And, we may just, for some gamers, they may just, I mean, they may not find any value in that kind of ambiguous choice. For other people, I think it could be, I think it could mean a whole lot. I think it could be a huge leap forward for what games can do and how meaningful games can be years down the road when you start thinking about those decisions and talking about them with friends and stuff. But I guess there's room for both, really. But, the first uh, couple of games that really leave people just, you know, torn up emotionally um, over what they did rather than just what the fantastic story that was, you know, wrought by, say, the, the writers of Shadow of the Colossus, the, those will be games that we remember. Right. Really. I mean, it's 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 rare that I've seen a game where, in fact, I can't think of any, actually, where what I did really just got to me. The end of Mass Effect, where you have to decide, that made me think hard i can i can think of several examples including that one like examples like that that make you really think even if they don't even offer you a choice Mm. like like uh james had said in his article shadow of the colossus did this and there wasn't one divergent path in that game you don't have a choice to do anything other than what the game's objective is Mm. but you're thinking about it and kind of not really sure about it the entire way through like yes is this what i'm supposed to is this what this guy's supposed to be doing and at the or the end of metal gear solid 3 when they force you to pull the trigger on spoiler warning character it's 
Come on, like, if they haven't played it by now, screw them. I've told them enough times it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. But, I mean, you don't want to, but the game's making you, but you really think about it, and it kind of really is kind of just, it really tugs at your conscience and the and how you feel about it. True, but that was, uh, well, like I said, once again, a straightforward narrative. Nothing was, it was always going to be the same for everyone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you don't even need divergent paths to get that kind of result sometimes, but... Hmm. I, but but I that's think, the old way of doing things. There is a possibility of doing it in, in a way that you can create something as emotionally impactful as Metal Gear Solid 3 that for someone else who played it wouldn't have taken that path at all and would not have been that torn up about okay, it. I mean, let's, let's imagine for a minute, like, if, let's say, the end of Metal Gear Solid 3 did actually offer an alternative choice to pulling the trigger right there. And it could lead to a kind of a different ending, a different... I mean, I guess it would kind of screw up continuity in Metal Gear, but I mean, that's exactly it. Though people sure. would have taken that as just the good or the bad ending. It's like letting Mer- oh no, there you go, there you go, right? Meryl survives, or she doesn't in Metal Gear Solid One, where you get you you can be tortured and you have to give up and let Meryl die, or keep just hammering on that circle button. And the added bit of spice that gets in there is there's no continues from this one, my friend. It's yeah. game over. And, you know, they're, they're glee- it's Kojima gleefully saying, dude, if you die, you die in this one. I mm-hmm. hope you saved just before you went up that tower towards Sniper Wolf, because otherwise, game over. And uh, and yet, there you go. Perfect. That that was the, more, the, the choice you had to make. And my God, did you have to suffer for being good in that. <laughs> because that, I... <clears throat> Do you remember, Tony? We almost broke the joypad just trying to get... Get me through. But um, that's why I love Kojima. No matter whatever his other faults, he he knows how to make he can get into moments very very kind of engaging to to the player. And that's what I thought was a failing of uh, Metal Gear Four. There's that scenario where you're hammering down the corridor. It could just have ended like that. And if if you didn't do it fast enough or well enough, that could have been the ending. Um, and and of course there's the the scenario at the very very end where you know Snake is spoiler warning but you know come on it's Metal Gear Four if you haven't already played it by now you don't love Metal Gear enough he he, he didn't pull the trigger on himself and it would have been I would have wanted to see the ending where he did I would have liked to press R one don't know about yeah, you guys. Kind of, yeah. yeah I kind of wish they would have there would have been a better ending I like the fact that there was the other ending but that there you go that that could have been their divergent ending but um. You know, he could still have carried on and done another Metal Gear game with with an older snake in it, but I think the whole point is that he's trying to lay that character to rest, and he didn't, but, but and that, that drove me you, crazy. But exactly, <laughs> you, you hit on a situation here where, you know, game, ultimately, I think most game makers want to have a, a sequel to continue the adventures of their games. Mm. And sometimes having, you know, a morality choice where, you know, say the main character can die isn't really the best. I mean, unless they're going to come up with some cock and ball story, how, uh, you know, that that ending you saw doesn't really count within this. I mean, I know Silent Hill can get away with it because that franchise is just, you know, batshit crazy when you actually look, sit back and look at the story and each one's slightly individual from, from the rest. You know, uh, you could argue the same thing about Zelda as well. You know, it, just certain games, you know, series can change the ending up and say, well, it's fine to continue on. If you got to the point in, in Metal Gear Solid 4, you know, Okay, we don't want them to make a new one, you know, but secretly we, we kind of do, but the ending for that game would have been perfect for him to pull the trigger. I think everybody knows that. And we think, I'm pretty sure everyone knows the reason he didn't pull the trigger is because, you know. It's the same reason that K- Kojima the- pulled out fucking Raiden in Metal Gear 2. He's fucking with us. I think it's beyond that. I think that's, uh, I think that was just literally Konami saying, look, you know, we, we're not going to kill our most, one of our most successful franchises, whether you like it or not. 
we'll take it out of your hands, we'll leave it in the point where most people will understand what you were trying to do, but you're not going to kill off Solid Snake at this point. But that was... Then maybe that was it. Maybe Kojima was like, really? Oh, so that's the case. Okay, well, I will get you the most dramatic, overblown, pointless ending ever, and I'll make all my fans upset. So I like the spiteful Kojima idea. <laughs> it's just all these angry all Zeus silly, weird, that. random things have been just like, he has been pissed at somebody, and he's going to get back to them. In yeah, a, but he makes us suffer as a result of it. <laughs> Also, one of the ones I really like, and, and it's it's because it actually wears what, what kind of choice it is on its sleeve, and that's in Fable 2, where you're being tortured in this dungeon that you've been taken away to. Oh yes, yeah. And um, the it's you know, it, unlike you just being tortured, you're going yeah, fine, yeah, I'll re- I'll resist your interrogation like I care, you know, I am the good guy. Mm. Um, that all kind of gets flipped on its head when Peter Molly and you go right. So there's nothing in this world, you know. Even your wife, you know, you just you, you can have another wife. Even your dog, you know, you're meant to you care about your dog. The dog yeah. Even a dog, you'll be able to resurrect that. How about we start taking XP away from you? So you just start losing levels. You know those levels you just spent the last 20 hours playing this game for. One by one, we're just going to start taking away, and not only it's that, it's like he's deleting yeah, part of your save games yeah, or something. You'll, you'll see the orbs start flying out. That your hard-earned orbs that you've been, uh, thinking, and he stops halfway through and says, "You know, do, do you, you want to carry on? on? Because I'll, you, go, you know, you, yeah, it's so like, like yes. it's like an abusive father going. Do you want a fresh one? And I, and I was sitting there going, "No, fine. Yeah, I, I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger than this." Now there was a point where I, Turned I feel out like you weren't, <laughs> and it literally was that because the choice was, do you want your character to revert to this little nanny state that he started off right at the start of the game? And I was like, at this point, you're fine. The, the choice is so obviously clear at this point. Please stop torturing me now. And it was like this this horrible decision. I, and I'm not too sure whatever other you know scenario he could, or maybe that's the game's fault that maybe he didn't do a better job at bringing characters in. But it's the actual thing you're going to lose XP from this experience was mm. a real horrifying experience. I was like, oh my God, stop doing this. Stop doing this. Don't torture me anymore. So I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, decisions that are out of our hands, that's, that's a classic case. You know, are we more about progressing the character or are we more about the, the mor- morality of decisions? And I think most of the time progressing the character is, you know, outweighs the, the former. Here's a Shades of Grey decision that would have made one of, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite games of all time even better. End of Uncharted 2. I'm not going to spoil actually what happens at the end, but if you had to decide uh, who to save, Chloe or Elena... And you had oh. to then live with it at the end, just at the very, very end. And you had to that you got one end sequence or the other. That would have killed me, whichever one I chose. There's, I don't even. I don't even know who I'd choose. I would be. I'd be sitting there right now, still after after a month, going, I don't know which one. <laughs> Chloe. Oh, sorry. You'd have chosen Elaine. Chloe. You'd have let no, Elena die. No, no, I, would have, I would have chosen Elaine actually. <laughs> would you have let Chloe die? Uh, I like Elena too much. Yeah. yeah, she's newer. Well, we've we've had two games worth of her. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a little unfair. I would have let Chloe die, but it would have fucking killed me. See, you made the choice. Okay, well, similar scenario. It, it's um, going back to Mass Effect One, the Krogan. Rex. You know that scenario when you uh, you basically he gives you a really good reason. Uh, you know his entire people 
uh, are basically dying. And, and if you carry on with this crusade against, against Saren, they're doomed. You're going to kill a, a race through your actions. But if you give up and let Saren go, maybe everyone will die. So I, mean, well, I can't remember the exact scenario, but basically it is a very good moral argument. And uh, you're both at gunpoint in the, at some point, And the tension is so unbelievable. And then, of course, afterwards you get that choice to make. And I just sat there watching my wife uh, make that choice the other day, and she was and she was running backwards and forwards, not knowing which way to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Mass Effect is probably uh, I got to say probably the best in terms of uh, you know giving you choices and making you live with them. So oh, for Dragon Age, so yeah, I know I haven't played much Dragon Age yet. It, okay, well, it's Dragon Age is doing basically what Mass Effect did, but. But basically just hiding the plus two to Paragon, plus two to whatever else. Yeah. And one thing, I'll just go ahead and kind of cut right ahead and say one thing that Dragon Age, why Dragon Age has worked so well, mm. is because of something that James mentions specifically in this in this article. Faction. It's the faction yeah. concept, basically, which really should be used a lot more often. Rather than just having a straightforward, overarching, black and white, karma meter jedi sith sort of blue and red yeah good and evil choice you basically have how the other npcs or how your party members feel about what you are doing which mm-hmm. immediately externalizes the morality it's you can choose like which one of your team members you feel like kind of uh, you agree with if you're kind of playing through dragon age and finding morgan annoying and she's constantly disagreeing with everything you're doing you may not really care so much i mean you don't feel like a goody two-shoes as as much per se it's not just the game actually saying to you that was good here has a, yeah. have a pat on the head and plus two sanctimony to yeah, ex- exactly it's by not knowing exactly like by not immediately getting the good cho- good choice or evil choice yeah. sort of a sort of a little indicator afterwards it leads at least a little more ambiguity to things yeah you don't have and a moral compass going there going good or bad it's 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 uh it's it's far more like real life yeah. where you don't have someone over your shoulder telling you exactly what was right there are simply consequences of just what happens the world yeah. may be a little bit different it may not be much different at all the or it may just be the, the world may be the same but your teammates kind of feel a little differently about you now that they've seen how you made that decision it's also and, an extension of you can't make everybody happy all the time exactly yeah, so I, that's one of the things that the I think that's one of the key differences between BioWare's older moral choice games and Dragon Age that pushes it yeah. beyond what they've done I, so far. And I hope they kind of keep to that, kind of adhere to that idea more in the future. Hmm. I mean, one I've already spoiled, I think, a couple of weeks ago, where I, where it's the, the reason that um, Dragon Age works so well for me is because the, the choices you you you're making aren't necessarily anything to improve your character it's more about the, you know affecting lives of others so yeah. it's less directional it's less like right you're going to win a sword for for doing this it's more about you're going to you know influence someone else's life and they're part of the story but ultimately they're part of a massive overarching story it's just one little um side uh story and amongst you know one big one but they're really big decisions and one i pointed out last week um, that really got to me was the choice that you know there's there's this boy that is possessed by a demon, um, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, so just skip for two minutes if you don't want to hear it. But you know it's it's one of the, the kind of it, it, the game's full of choices like this, so it's just one of many. But you know a boy is possessed by a demon, um, and there's various ways that you can get this demon out of this boy. Uh, one of the ways is to kill the boy. Doesn't really you know I don't really want to go around killing small children. Can't you just and the power of Christ compels you him? No. <laughs> Damn. The the other way is to um, have the mum 
die as a blood sacrifice, and that way the demon will move into the the mother's body, and then she's, she's actually gonna, that was the exorcist. Yeah, yeah, she, she's given herself up so to save her son. Yeah. So then you're killing the mum. So then you lift the situation where well, I've killed the mum to save the boy, but that's not great either. There's there's a third way which I found out later, which I'm not going to go into. So there leaves a little bit of a ambiguity to it, but it's once again not a particularly great uh, way either. Now there is no perfect answers to that i mean you don't really want to kill anyone these are nice characters you know the kid's just a young kid the mum is you know a protective mum she wants to save her son but ultimately you don't really want to kill her mm. and you're left in this situation and I, I sat there for a good couple of minutes going well there is no wrong or right answer here what do i do I mean, you're just trying to find the best one yeah, like I mean, the, what, what option is the most good <laughs> yeah and mm. and ultimately that there isn't a most good situation there you know you don't, <laughs> there is no real reward for it it's, mm. it was just like here's a choice now i mean i'm not going to say which one i chose but i i i felt like a good couple of hours after that i i'd chosen that choice whether i'd made the right decision or not mm. and you find out later on in the game that you know certain people were talking about it i mean word about that decision has spread throughout the land and you'll have completely different um chains of dialogue that you'd never seen if you were chosen to take this, you know, the, the different choice. And then a third choice, like I say, kind of comes up later on and you're like, oh, well, if I'd known that, then maybe I might have done that. So that's the kind of choices I want to see in games where really there is no wrong or right answer. It's just a difficult situation and you're the, the person they're looking to you to, to sort out. But uh, I mean, as ultimately what we've said about other games is a lot of games don't even need that kind of detail. So, you know, it, it's fine just to run through and shoot people and, and whatever. But I think RPGs themselves, you, you build up relationships with characters a lot more normally than an action game or, or whatever, you know, similar type games. Because I've been playing it for 60 hours. I kind of felt like I know these characters now. And there's some choices right at the back end of that game where you can literally lose party members that you've been traveling for 60 hours and... Once again, their choice is that there is no wrong or right answer, yet you're about to lose somebody in the same situation as Rex. You know, do you lose, do you lose Rex from your party, even though he's probably one of the most valuable members that you have? Mm. And that, that's hard, but it does seem to be like Bioware, and um, I'd say maybe Bethesda, Bethesda because yeah. Fallout 3 had a, a, a number of really we interesting choices. Um, but I can't think of too many other developers outside of that that really uh, kind of experiment with ambiguity rather than just you know, playing black or white. And that's uh, actually a problem that um, Mass Effect ended up with. If you're actually changing things in the universe, in this world where sequels are so very, very important, they have to take every con- uh, every single one of your choices into consideration. So that actually led them to going save your uh, save files for Mass Effect 2. Because it, you know, if for example uh, Uncharted 3, you genuinely had at the end of Uncharted 2 had the decision to let one girl or the other die in to save the other, they'd have to write one of them out of the game. And imagine how much writing would have to go into it and and how different that game would have to be or how cookie cutter it would feel where it's like but what do you think elena slash chloe but isn't that showing in mass effect 2 the fact that you know you have a whole new group of people there mm. isn't really anyone I mean, yes they uh, kind of have to start from scratch no matter yeah. what because no matter what you change it, it not only does it is it going to affect the whole of that one game that this could affect the entire series if, if mass effect has three or four sequels things you did in the first one will become history in the fourth one yeah, if the games with big branching paths of lots of different story changes, that, lots of divergent paths in a game are already very time-consuming and expensive to mm. try to deal with. If you're trying to go into the next game starting from all of the different divergent path mm. options that could have that could have happened, and then make more from there, it's just it kind of just becomes 
exponentially complex and impossible, so they have to kind of draw a line somewhere. It's interesting that uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Fable 2, I could be wrong on this, but I think the implications are that your character in the first game went bad in both of them. I could be wrong, but I seem to remember it's uh, that, that they were a reference to the character in Fable 1 in Fable 2. They, uh, the implication is that he went bad. I can't remember. And so that, that then becomes the canon. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's not like making a movie where it's like everything that happened in this first movie and maybe the expanded universe actually happened. It's a case of one or both of these things could happen. That is why this is probably the naughtiest of problems when making video games at the, at the moment. You know, aside from the financial aspects of how do we get huge amounts of extra people who've never played video games before to start, it's how to make something subtle and morally ambiguous and shades of grey and continue doing so without having to restart every single new game. But, and, and the interesting thing is, as much as I, I'm holding up Dragon Age saying, look, you know, this is you know, the, the height of where we hit it so far, mm. the way they actually do with that, it's not like they, they suddenly, I mean, they may take one or two areas out, but, you know, they're only small side areas. But the way they actually do it is literally most of it's kind of within the, the dialogue tree um, or cutscenes. You know, they, they change the cutscenes up just a little bit or here or there. And, you know, having... I've now I'm going for it a second time and, and taking a completely different route. I can kind of see what they've done. It's more just breaking off completely different sections of trees, which do lead down a completely different path, and you'll hear a whole new set of dialogue. Mm. But it doesn't really change anything in the game world. You're suddenly not going to have this huge area that developed. It's more about just having the feeling that you, you've made a change within society rather than the actual game world. Because I, I think if we're looking at the thing where they say, well, you're now going to have this big open game world that you've, you've never seen before and we've kept it hidden just for you and then we're going to continue out to the sequel. That's, that's, it's, it's just not possible in today's technology of games because it's too much work, too many assets that are you know, just going to be wiped off. Mm. So they kind of they stick it a lot more narrow than that. I mean, it's the best I may have seen, but you know, I can I can kind of see where they're working the, the game itself. So mm. I don't know what the answer is to that as a game developer. Fallout 3, for me, is a game that succeeds and fails in equal measure. It succeeds in the fact that there really are so many different choices you can make, and they can have good or ill consequences on so many different people, and it makes almost every single game, of, uh, every single person's game of Fallout 3 is going to be slightly different, without exception. But... There's so little actual uh, impact on your character, such as he is, that I, I just didn't care. It's like, I, you know, there were various things that could happen, but unlike Mass Effect, where um, uh, my, my character was center stage and, and was talking, and I, you know, I could look at Shepard and see how Shepard was reacting to this thing and how people were reacting to them, uh, Bethesda just literally put you in front of a person and then gave you a list of green words to say to them, and then when you said them, that, that was said and that they had to react to that, and there was no actual interaction going on. That's why I didn't like uh, and have not been able to get into Dragon Age as well. However, for a hell of a lot of people, they prefer it like that. It was a little jarring coming off of Mass Effect and mm. then going to Dragon Age and just not and just hearing half of a conversation every time. Yeah, but, uh, it was I like mean, going back to it, Kotal. I guess it lets you kind of put your own, put your own voice kind of in there. Kind yeah, of my you... voice sucks. I prefer Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Shepard yeah, but... is Naomi from uh, Metal Gear Solid. If you, if yeah, I, I would just as soon let Jennifer Hale be my voice in the game. If... <laughs> yeah, you just internalize. It's like it's like saying then, well, fine, I'll, I'll just sit here and listen to audio books rather than reading a book. You know, it, it's you know, you you draw characters and. Whoa, whoa you know, hold on a second. Hold on. Having it be a more cinematic experience is the equivalent of listening to an audio book. Yeah, but then there's, there's like people who complain that they have to read subtitles in cinemas. It's, you know, it's, my, my point being is that I, you know, I, I, 
I'd rather they they have a character like Shepard say because you know sure. it's, it makes my job a lot easier because I don't have to be you know putting my own little you know speech in my head and, re- and sitting down reading the text. Yeah. And I actually like really like the way that they seem to be doing with Mass Effect Two, where you have now have the option to actually um, interrupt people mid flow of their sentences and yeah. say well, no, you know because that was always a, a case before. It's like yeah 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 get to the point. I kind of know where you're going with this. And mm. now there's a button you can just go look. Shut up! You know this is the situation. The, so the I, punch I, in the face button. And, and I kind of um, <laughs> this is what you can kind of do with Dragon Age. You can just kind of like you know read the text fast on what they can speak and, and just make that's it shut true up. actually, which um, which helps when going through thousands upon thousands of lines, but, um, which would otherwise be quite stilted and, dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there's the the rub. And even in in Dragon Age, you know, the fact is you can have completely. De- com- I mean, hugely different dialogue trees, and there there must be hundreds of hours of voice work that I will never hear. Mm. Um, I mean, to the point where you can go up to a quest giver and just go, "Well, give me the quest," and he goes, oh, "There we go." Or you can sit there for twenty minutes, and he will tell you the story of his life. Mm. Um, whether you decide to do that or not is, is within you know, your own little context. But the the fact is that somebody's been paid to sit there record this. Someone's been paid to sit in and, and and come in and, and speak these words. Another person person been paid to to put all that stuff in. And ultimately, it's down to the, whether the the user at this end is going to go. Well, I just want to be taking the quest and move on, or I, I will sit here and listen to your backstory. Now that all costs money and. Once again, we always come back to money, but I, I just, it's, it's a, it's a big, it's a big thing with games. They, they cost too much money to make. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I think Mass Effect Two is actually going to be a really interesting one. I, I think they're going to take whatever they've done in Dragon Age and just take it that again a little step further, which we'll find out in the forthcoming week. Yeah, week or so. Um, th- there's a sliding scale if you take, um, in terms of actual impact on your character and how, how that actually impacts on you. We're getting off the set set of morality here, but ultimately it does still tie in with the choices you're making and how it uh, reflects back on you. Dragon Age, Mass Effect, and Fallout 3 all have very similar character creators. You can tweak every single nuance of their face. It could take you an hour just to create a good face. Um, but think about Shepard, your character in Dragon Age, and your character in Fallout 3. Which one is the strongest in your head as a character? Shepard. Shepherd, because of how she was put, she or he was put center stage with a spotlight on them, and they were doing all the talking. In the middle, you got Dragon Age, so you're still in the spotlight. You're still, you know, doing the talking. You can't hear yourself, but you can at least see your character. Fallout Three, unless you you jumped to third person view and rotated around, you couldn't actually see yourself. And when you were doing the talking, it was all entirely in your head because of the first person view. So, I mean, that ultimately meant that. Um, everything that actually happened, all of your moral choices took place in this sort of first-person vacuum where you couldn't even see your expression as to, as to how you felt about that. So, I mean, to a degree, it's a much more immersive thing because you just basically, you know, right, well, this is what my face looks like. How am I feeling about this? But at the same time, it didn't work for me with Fallout. It, it just, I just felt, oh, you know what? You're just annoying me. I don't want to go out and make your stupid book anymore. Oh, the survival, the wasteland survival guide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was some hours playing that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Could you go out and go and get yourself radioactive there, like? Um, no, I oh, can't. Yeah, but the choice there was to blow Megaton up or, or save it, you know, for good or bad causes. Yeah, but that that was a good one because that that people talked about that because you had literally had your thumb on the button after a certain point. I never got to that stage. I, I hated the guy who even suggested it and got him arrested or tried to, and he, get, you know, sheriff gets shot each time. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Fallout 3 does have some really interesting quandaries. I mean, remember that kid who you could sell into slavery or, uh, <laughs> you know, send off back to his dad, but his dad still dies pretty much uh, either way. I mean, he gets eaten by ants. I think Oh, no, no, yeah, he's dead. He's yeah. dead. You go into his house and he's already dead. So basically, no matter what happens, this mm-hmm. kid's going to have a crappy life. Mm-hmm. Or there was those uh, guys who go off and, and start hanging around with vampires underground. And, that you know, there can be no good way out of this. And, uh, of to, yeah, to me, Fallout 3's got a really good um, slant on it in terms of it's a really black world and, you know, there's certain slightly lighter shades of grey decisions you can make which might make people's lives a little less unbearable. But uh, going to go along with that, there's a depression that sets in throughout the game that eventually, after a long time, you just don't want to do it anymore. All right. it's, it's that horrible to be in the world. Well, there's, there's two other major things we've got to talk about. One is suffering for your goodness and how this might be portrayed. You've already talked about it in Fable 2 in the, in the, the, the masterful stroke of taking away your, um, your, your, XP. your XP. And um, g- can you think of anything else that basically if you're good in a game like this or you take as, as the moral high ground, how, how can they portray that in a way that's not just well done, pat on the back and here's your XP and here's your... Um, you know, here's your special angel wings. Well, the problem so far has just been mostly that uh, that really choosing to do the evil choice or the good choice, they're usually about, it, it's just as easy either way. It's really just kind of choosing A or B. When in real life, I mean, choosing to do the right thing is a lot of times kind of hard. You have to sacrifice something or it's hard to even figure out what the right thing is. Quicker, so, I mean, easier, more seductive. Exactly. So, I mean, that could be, I mean, that could be something they could really kind of play around with where, some of, a lot of us who would like to kind of go through being the hero and being kind of goody two shoes, we're really going to suffer for it. We are going to be poor the entire game. We're going to be low on equipment. We're going to be, we're going to, we may make some friends, but we're going to be really kind of suffering through whole game through if we are mm. really trying to be good every time we can. Or if we want to go the easy way, we want to be buffed up and everything. We can just be selfish little bastards and do whatever the hell we want. That's, I guess that is kind of how you take out the goody two shoes, Superman kind of feeling out of Bit playing the good side, make it hard to do so. But make it to where I'm really sacrificing a, a lot here. A counter argument to that from a developer's point of view is I want people to play my game. I want people to enjoy my game. I know that 90% of my audience is going to play the goody two-shoes guy, mm. and I don't want them to have to suffer throughout this game. I mean, we're talking in, in ideals here, of course, you know, they would like to go down that route, but I can understand them from their point of view saying, look, you know, there's going to be a fair proportion of people that play our game that aren't interested in this. Uh, you know, in the, the grander scheme of moral choices, mm. if they if we're gonna uh, basically tell them right. If you you want to play the good side, but you know you you're really gonna have shit weapons, and uh, you know, but and then that point they still need to say right. If you play evil, look look at all this tempting good stuff, mm. 
and you just, once again the choice is almost taken out of your hands but I mean in an ideal world of course but I, I still want to play the good guy and I still want to have the half good stuff so I don't yeah I don't I, I, I'm somehow I'm agreeing you and disagreeing you at the same time it's also interesting that if you do play evil and you have to sacrifice something if it's actually an enjoyable game is it even worth it because basically if you have no friends and uh, you know you're just feeling rotten every time you make a decision that ultimately means the game's not going to be an enjoyable experience so it's not really giving up much at all if, you, if all you can basically doing is getting the gear but at the same time it's a bit closer to what would actually happen in reality if you stomp through life trampling over other people's feelings and through each other people's lives not caring about what who you hurt that's true i mean we could try to i suppose you could try to find other ways to reward the player to kind of offset it i mean you could depending on how you're trying to make the game if you're wanting to kind of break the player of having to be goody two-shoes all the time you can just kind of make it prohibitively expensive to do so all the time so the player just kind of has to choose his battles now and then mm. but even if the player is really wanting to fight hard to be good as often as he can and wants to be robin hood you could maybe there are other ways you can kind of reward him like uh you again you will have more characters that are your friends you will have more party members who will be willing to join you and there are lots of meaningful interactions there mm. there will be townspeople will try to help you more often because you're a hero and they they see how hard you're fighting for them mm. these are all still <laughs> drifting towards buffs for the later end of the game no, true no, but, it, it does kind of become a game mechanic a little bit and you can try to also like and which i guess you'd have to work to try to break from a little bit but i mean and the evil side could have consequences of you have no friends you, there so you will have henchmen <laughs> yeah, you'll have henchmen, true. I guess it's still... Again, it's it still to... feels like we're, we're just falling into these uh, gaming programming tropes and going, right, well, what happens if you're evil in games? Well, you become more powerful. You have uh, minions. It's really hard to break from that. Yeah, I, I, even as I say it, I see I can see myself like bringing up lots of problems, not choices sort of scenarios I, here. But It but almost seems like if you're really evil, you should get the material goods. If you're really good... Oh God! I know. See, but I like that. I continue that sentence. If you're good, then you get the the general populace of the game world, you know, yeah. helping you out. So you so may not be as powerful games. as you know. I have the equipment. Or I have the the stamina of a bad guy. Mm. But you have the will of the people around you. You know, if you played with it more like that, then yeah. I mean, I guess that's almost sounding a bit like infamous, but. Having not played it to the end, but it sounds a bit it, more like well, they just throw bricks at you rather than just clap at you. It also kind of wraps all the way back round to Deus Ex, where if you're effectively evil, you just go storming through and you get all the best gear and you can just shoot people to crap with rocket launches and things. But if you're good, which, or it, which you know, in, in this scenario would be being a bit more sneaky and, and maybe having to forego weapons in terms of being particularly good at uh, hacking... Um, it takes a lot longer and you have to work yeah. harder for it, but you get more of a sense of accomplishment of the game. And it's not just like every other action game where you're blasting through it. So that almost, it justifies them making an action style of the game, but it also means that they can, you know, pepper it with, uh, you know, something more substantial for if you're actually going to have to work for it. And listening to Tony, he's, he, you've given lots of kind of a good, kind of playing the devil, devil's advocate a little bit, kind of pointing out where a lot of people Me may not never. want <laughs> a lot of people may not want as choices to get really complicated or to yeah. or like a lot of people may not want games to kind of go in this direction and that is kind of something to think about I, a lot of games probably don't need this kind of ambiguous moral choice oh it's certainly not for every about, game the next Jack and Daxter doesn't need it yeah a lot, a lot a lot of games don't need this just like I'd say a lot of games don't need a moral choice system in general mm. but but for those games who that are really trying to say to say we offer deep meaningful moral choices in your game if you really want to offer deep meaningful moral choices these are the ways to do it the 
karma, the karma meter sort of thing isn't necessarily the way to go. The Paragon versus Renegade isn't necessarily the way to go. Look at what Dragon Age is doing. And hmm. if you can get, if your game can make the player sit and think for 20 minutes in his car about what, about who he's going to kill or th- sit, sit and think for a long time about any other choice or debate with his, or debate with his wife, like, what's or phone name? a friend. Or phone a friend, or talk for, or debate with that friend hours later who made the other choice and mm. trying to figure out, like, try to debate who was right. I mean, that's... If there's a, no clear answer, yeah. That well, is I, a major success on the moral choices front. If you really want to na- nail moral choice in games, that's what's to aim for. Mm. I, I, I can tell you that that actually did happen in Dragon Age, where I, I made a decision. Uh, my wife Liz was sitting there next to me on the couch, and she looked at me like I've never seen her before, like... <laughs> You would really have made that decision? I was like, well, if I, I'm weighing up all the, the, the possible outcomes here, I, I think, you know, overall, I, I think this is probably the best way to go. She's looking at me like I, I personally had killed this person. Because, but I was like, well, this is the choice I've made. So, you know, they, those decisions are available in games. And I think, you know, as much as we can keep harking on about Bioware and Dragon Age, I think they, 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 they've learned through, I mean, if you go back to the, the simplest times of, you know, the, the Paragon and Renegade um, uh, example, all the way back to what... Um, Kotor. Kotor. You know, that was really simple. Like, you're going to be good or bad. You know, just, this, you know, Sith. Sith or, or Jedi. Or Jedi. You know, it's a simple choice. Well, like, like I was saying earlier with, with Dragon Age, it's got to the point now where really there is no wrong or right. It's just a, a, a choice that you have to make and you, you will live with the consequences and can you, uh, you know, can you, ultimately, you know, it sounds so grandiose, but can you live with the choices you've made, uh, internally and, you know, I, I kind of like that route that it's heading. I think, you know, from what we're going to see with Mass Effect, that's, that's, well, we'll, we'll say in a couple of weeks time whether they, they hit that or not, but it seems to be the right direction. I'd rather see that more, more so than, you know, you are good, you are bad. Mm. Um, something you said earlier, Dan, just, just now, uh, which, uh, James makes, like, this is basically all James, so thank you very much, Mr. Portnow, for this, but, uh, the progress bar. The, uh, idea of, uh, blue at the top, red at the bottom, and your little, Ticker goes up or down depending on what uh, choices you make. Or in Mass Effect, you've got two bars, one red, one blue, and you get yeah. points on each one. And every time you do something good, you get a little ding, and it tells you how many points you got in that particular uh, alignment. Um, that's got to go if if we're going to progress forwards. Um, the, imagine if they just changed it around so that red was uh, good and blue was bad. Just the color. People would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense because clearly okay. red is bad. We're so used to it now. Take that, take it you know, one step a further. Thing that happens. Take it one step further. Where yeah. you play throughout Mass Effect Two, you mm. get to the end of the game. There, there's been no you know bars, meters, or telling yeah, you how. And it tells it you. Yeah. yeah, there's basically just blank decisions. Mm. So you're going right. Well, my gut instinct is this. My gut instinct is that. And you're watching the reactions. You get to the end of the game, and the outcome of what your decision were were completely different from what you were oh, expecting be, be because cool. yeah because you know ultimately you, you you know there there was no kind of guidance it's more about you know just using you you know your, your internal feeling hmm. and then you know being surprised at the end of the game oh of course oh I didn't realize that that was going to be and and you know having that reaction rather than well I've played good all the way and I expect when I get to the end that the decisions that I've made I mean I'm going to have a good and happy ending yeah. rather than it just being like I'm not too sure whether I'm good or bad sounds a bit like um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories yeah 
you know, where people are talking about the decisions you make throughout the game ultimately shape what ending you're going to get. Well, that's a Silent Hill trait from and through, but it seems to be a bit more personal to you. So I think it's the more interesting. But yeah, I agree. Especially you know, get rid of the bars. Almost never is a happy ending in Silent Hill. It'd be interesting if they could just do away with happy endings from some games. <laughs> be like, yeah, maybe even in the happiest ending, there's still you know some some shades of grey. Uh, here's another thing. I'm sick of seeing that the the, uh, the best answer, the nicest answer you can give at the top of the dialogue tree, and the worst you can give at the bottom. Uh, yeah, screw that. Do you know? Just mix them mix them up a bit. Maybe put the best one at the bottom. Maybe put it in the middle or something like that. Mass Effect. I love the fact that it's got a dialogue tree that's so easy to remember and use. You go to the blue to do your Paragon thing. You, you go, go to the, the red. Corner. Yeah, different yeah, you go to the corner. Or, or you go to the the, the far yeah, left if you want yeah. more information, and you go to the far right if you want to carry the conversation on. And it's really easy to remember. Unfortunately, it also takes any decision making out of the prospect because you're like. Right. How do I just get this this thing over with in an aggressive fashion? I just go to red. So if they could just, and this is going to go into a whole new discussion about dialogue trees and how the hell they can they can make them less stale because they are stale and I'm sick to death of them. Maybe heavy rain, but ultimately um, th- there has to be a way to make it. Uh, much more of a case of I'm going to read each and every one of these answers because I'm not sure where this could lead on this one and make you worry about it. Mm-hmm. But to finish off on the progress bar, I would like every single one of you po- people listening to go to their iPod or Zoom or uh, portable listening device or PC screen and have a look at the picture that's on the front cover of this particular episode. That is uh, James Portnow's Color Wheel of Choice. <clears throat> now, I've deleted uh, a couple of uh, uh, you know words on it, which I'm now going to reveal what they are. At the very top is discipline. At the very bottom is freedom. At the, on the left is rights of the few, and on the right is needs of the many. This is his vision of moral choice in games, as opposed to blue at the top, red at the bottom. This is far more of a case of every single time you make a decision, you've got a little dot that starts in the very, very middle that moves up, down, left, right, and effectively, you're, you could effectively dance around the mulberry bush of morality throughout your whole game, and you will feel far more like you're actually making decisions as opposed to straightforward, I'm going to just do this thing because this does that. Because if you go to extremes on either end, it's going to hurt someone. Because if you go for uh, as far as you can towards discipline, you're Nazi Germany. As far as you can towards freedom, you're an anarchist. As far as you can towards rights of the few, you're totally selfish about the rest of the world. As far as you can about needs of the many, you, you're too high up to see the, the problems experienced mm-hmm. by people on a personal level. So if you can keep dancing around the middle and not sure which direction to go in, that will create serious moral choices that you'll agonize over. And that could be the future. Thank you for that, James. In Dragon Age. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have one of them? There, there is a couple of scenarios where you, you can complete whole quest lines, you know, and completely be in favour with one faction, say. Right. And then right at the very end, um, I, I, there is an example, and I won't spoil it for people, but there is an example where I did this, and I turned around to my, my wife Liz and said, this guy's an ass. I don't know why I chose to go with this guy. He's just completely... And literally, on the flip of a switch, decided right at the end of this quest line to talk to the other guy and, and say something to him to basically continue the story. But it, it was a rub. And, he, and just the way that he reacted, they actually knew that I'd done so many quests down this line. He, he was surprised as well because he was like, it, 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 you've done... And, and, say it ain't so. <laughs> well, I don't believe... And I felt so good because I was like, you know what? That was the right decision in the end. I, I can't believe I fell for this guy's kind of uh, you know trap. So that stuff, 
Yeah, I, but I agree with you. I, I love the fact that if you go to the, I mean, ultimately, all that happens in Fable, you go all the way good, you get a halo above your head. Well, how simplistic is that? I mean, he did. And uh, hang on, he did sort of make an allusion to that because you can become corrupt but good. Basically, you could you could do nice things to everyone, but you could also be a land baron, charging people <laughs> astonishing amounts of rent, which would make you corrupt, but at the same time pretty good with it. So kind of like Han Solo, um, and that, and that they maybe make a bit more reference to the Han Solo thing there, but that. To me, those are the much more interesting characters, characters that you're not sure yep. what they might do. Because if you're sure that your person is just going to be blue or just going to be red and just going to be yep. nuts or just going to be nasty, then there's no interest there. You're just like, oh, I just plod through this game, holding my head high or lowering my bullhorns. But uh, isn't that correct? Because, you know, our favourite character of recent time, Nathan Drake. Nathan Drake, the mass murdering guy yeah, with the cocky no, smile. Be- no, beyond that, though, he's a womaniser. He... Is he's ultimately, not womanizer. He is. He's, he's got women on the go. He's got a woman in every country. Yeah, but like there's that bit when they're but, both ganging up on you that he seems quite hempacked. And I was like, oh, get exactly. off him. Get off he's put himself in that situation. But beyond that, you know, he's a thief as well. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he doesn't actually... He's a know, grave robber. This, yeah, this moral round. But he's kind of... It's just this... He's, he's a hand Solo lovable rogue. And this is, you know, because he, you know... There's, there's many flaws with him. There's many, you know, good aspects to him, and I think that's the kind of people most people like in life. You know, somebody with a bit of character, mm. more so than you know, I just, you know, I preach the word of good, or I, or somebody you meet in the street that's just, you know, all evil because you you tend to walk the other side of the street. So, I mean, ultimately, we're just asking for an everyday life character, and I think this is why Nathan Drake has has hit so many people, and that game has hit so many people because it feels like you're just playing a slice of reality, mm. even though it's a very very guided uh, cinematic experience oh it's, yeah it's 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 reality and so far it, it feels more real because there's a lot more attention to detail and little casual moments in it but it's the most cinematic and and, and guided experience but that's the illusion you feel that you know it's, it's not so much a game about choice but you do feel embroiled in what drake has to do because he's a little bit of a shady character and and that is always going to create a much more interesting person for me but- I, I think for me the interesting thing I'm going to have is I've moving from Dragon Age onto Mass Effect 2, and I think you know, oh. this is all, this is going to be very much all full of these these higher moral choices. Uh, moving on to Final Fantasy 13, of which I'm absolutely no yeah, I'm absolutely really excited for. Me too. But I think I think they're going to be so very different in the way that they handle the choices. You know, the choices are going to be of of this script mm. rather than uh, anything that I may may or may not have a decision over. So, yeah, which we'll see. Indeed. We shall see which one comes off as our favourite in this scenario. I think you're probably going to prefer Dragon Age to both of them. Oh my god! I think that. I don't play play an RPG for a year and then I play three in what three months? That's going to be a good idea. We've got to get you on Persona. (laughs) Actually, no, I played Fallout Three last year. On that uh, particular note, next week uh, episode we will be talking about RPGs. Just finished Final Fantasy XII, so I've got plenty to talk about there, and we're going to be basically talking about how they consume your life and whether that's worth it or not, because I'm not too sure anymore. (gasps) Stay tuned. We are a member of Platform Nation, and if you like our show, you might want to listen to this one. Last week on GameHound's Hospital, the hospital staff has been flung into turmoil as Dr. Cooper Hawks has discovered his former lover, Johnny Genesis, is really his long-lost twin brother, Commander Tim of the Sega Nomad Squadron. That's nasty. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be having nightmares about that for, for, like, minutes. Meanwhile, Nurse Edie Sellers begins her evil plans to take control of the hospital from Dr. Hawks. 
by any means necessary. No, I, I kissed a gay guy, and I liked it. That's all I'm saying. Even as Nurse Edie sleeps her way to the top... I'm a climber. Dr. Hawk struggles to come to terms with his forbidden love for Commander Tim. Yeah, that's right, because I have the fucking sexiest voice on the internet. We all know that. But Commander Tim, now out of his coma, has found himself repulsed by Dr. Hawks, who has, let's face it, let himself go since their breakup. It's one thing being overweight, but it's another thing entirely to like perpetuate it by eating like four hot dogs for lunch every day. Nurse Edie discovered Dr. Hawks and Commander Tim's secret and blackmails them to do a gaming podcast every Sunday on iTunes. I don't like being manipulated, bitch. All of a sudden, she's Skeletor on a good day. And every Wednesday with Mr. Maynard, Holy Goalie, the Sports Hound Will G, and the Rumble Pack on the Game Hound's Hump Date. The first taste is free. Find out if the evil Nurse Edie succeeds or if Dr. Hawks and Commander Tim can keep their hands off each other every Sunday and Wednesday on iTunes or at www.gamehounds.net. Uh, please be gentle. Here at Digital Cowboys, we have a new feature that we actually want to introduce to you guys. Um, it's going to be called Community Intelligence. Uh, the idea of this segment is actually going to be to give you, the community, a chance to have a voice on our show, but in a far more interesting way than just listen to mail. The plan actually is to dedicate the last few minutes of certain shows covering the topic that we set out for you. This will normally have some correlation to what we will be discussing in the following week's show, but there is a simple rule. Keep your answers short as long essays are hard to do justice to. I'm pretty sure that Alex and me don't want to be sitting here trying to edit each and every one of the essays that come in and going, right, that will be good and this will... Oh, I'd just summarise and say, this person said this. <laughs> exactly. And then we're so going you're to be wasting your breath. But uh, now, if you keep it short, then it, it makes it easier for us and actually makes it easier for other people to listen. This is going to be open to basically all followers of Digital Cowboys. So if you're a podcaster and have an opinion on the subject, if you're a PR person and want to get your company's point of view across, but most importantly, if you're just a, a general member of our community. So how is this actually going to work? Well, we're going to actually give you four options. The first is you'll be able to leave a voicemail via Skype. Uh, the Skype name is Digital Cowboys, or you can actually go to the website and click on the Skype link and leave a voicemail from there. You can leave a comment on our website, which can be found at www.thedigitalcowboys.com. Send us an email at mailbag at digitalcowboys.com. Or lastly, leave a post under the dedicated forum thread. Right, so it's time to actually set out a topic for next week's show. We are going to be covering RBGs, and the question I posed to you is thus. Why has there not been a Final Fantasy VII remake yet? And if there was, what changes would have to be made to the formula for it to fit within modern day standards? So there we go, people. You have your assignment for next week, and we look forward to hearing your comments, and I'm sure you're going to look forward to for them being playing from the show. Am I allowed to enter this one? I'm sure we will have our own comments about this for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> i got plenty to say on this one. So it's I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We've had many people ask us to bring back the mailbag, but uh, it's very hard to fit that within the formula of our show. So I think this is going to be something different, actually something that uh, I think we're going to be proud on. Because I, I know just from the forums itself, the community that we have, it just as I said, community intelligence is full of very, very intelligent guys and girls. It's effectively a topical mailbag. Yeah. I'll put it this way. I'm pretty sure most people have an opinion on Final Fantasy VII. And why it deserves a remake. Or oh, that's not. But we'll find out. Don't be out. afraid to say how much you hate it. We know there are people out there who do. <laughs> and we know where you live. 
And everyone, make sure you get your entries in by Thursday, the 28th of January, 2008, because that's when we're going to be doing the final edit on it. And we're thinking of making this uh, weekly or at least re- relatively regular thing, whereby we have uh, like a topic of the week uh, on the forums and everyone can sort of, you know, give their 10 cents and have what they have to say read out on the podcast. So get your ass writing. Daniel, thank you very, very much for coming on again. Oh, of course, man. Keep us updated as to when your new lecture's out, Dan. Someday. It, it will be it will be out someday. I can't tell you when, but because I, I have no idea, but it will come out. Okay, and we would just like to say another big thank you to James Port. Now I hope you're listening because uh, you know we we this the, the structure of this whole episode was based on your article, and you know, we really couldn't have done it without that kind. Well, we could have done it, but it wouldn't have sounded anywhere near as good. I was also just like to thank uh, our community for taking part in in the two game nights we had uh, this week. One being Uncharted 2, mm-hmm. uh, which was a catastrophe. Catastrophe on the PlayStation Network. Now it was it was a part PlayStation of Network is a piece of shit. I cannot believe that they actually <laughs> let that go past beta testing. And apart I want from back, a few communication issues, complete communication issues. It was so, a travesty. It was an atrocity. Okay, okay, we just put it this way. That could do with a party system, the PS3. Yeah. But um, in sharp contrast, that. the next day we played Halo 3. Halo. Yes, oh, Halo 3. Halo 3. And that was badass. We got proper, you know, we, we were in in four minutes as opposed to an hour and a half. <laughs> and it was good fun. Um, and lots we of new members joined up. Evening. Lots of new members have joined up and and took part of those game nights. So it's nice to actually speak to a, a few fresh faces as well as seeing some of the, the, the good old regulars. So, um, yeah, thanks once again. And we got more of those on the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, so join the forums. And those forums can be found at www.thedigitalcowboys.com. And if you'd like to write to us telling us what very crucial morality-related game we missed out, write to digitalcowboys at googlemail.com. Once again, next week we're talking about RPGs, and we're going to leave you with a piece of Tim Minchin music. Uh, if you're particularly religious, you might want to skip this one. Daniel, thank you once again. Oh, my pleasure. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. I'll see you next week. Happy trails. I have a particular religious friend I go head to head with and get very boring at dinner parties with on these sort of uh, big questions and um, he always sort of seems to think that to be sceptical is to be cynical and that my view of the world sees no beauty, um, which, which I, I always argue is not the case. I mean, I, I find the world a really exciting place. There are ideas that are a bit more science-y um, that are just as exciting as the kind of magic-y ones, you know, like, like the, 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 one of the greatest ideas of all time, evolution, the theory of natural selection, you know. Um, not only is it, um, um, how would you say, right... <laughs> I'm just practicing my timing for my uh, American tour. <laughs> Pause, right, and duck. Uh, duck. Um, no, I mean, not only is it good science, but it's also really uh, thrilling, don't you think, this idea that an individual of a species uh, can be born, sort of mutated, in a good way. And in the moment of that individual's birth, it holds within its genetic code the potential for its entire species to take a huge evolutionary leap forward. It's amazing. And I always think, what would life have been like being one of those individual mutant freaks? You know, what did the other kids think? Imagine being the first dude ever to have feet. I reckon that would be really tough. And also, what I wonder is, how did these individuals with their new bits, like, how did they figure out how to use them? Did they just stumble upon their potential purpose one day, just accidentally, you know? 
Imagine you're, you're a fish and you're just swimming in the ocean um, with your school and you're all just hanging out, swimming, same as always, because you're um, fish. And, and suddenly, out of nowhere, um, Tony... Fucking Tony. T- <laughs> Tony just goes... Um, I'm getting out. <laughs> You're a fish, Tony. Yeah, well, I'm a cold fish. I just want to pop out for a bit, you know, maybe lie in my towel. <laughs> Bring you an ice cream. Yeah, don't bother, Tony. You're a freak. Come on, school, let's go. Let's ostracise him for being different. Yeah, let's ostracise him. Tony's a freak. Let's ostracise him for being different. <laughs> no, don't ostracise me. I'm just a little bit different. I'll bug you then. I'll show you guys. gonna come in handy <laughs> uh, and imagine what Tony would think standing there on his brand new feet uh, on the brink of the beginnings of mankind as we know it if, if he could look forward just a few sh- short hundreds of millions of years to see one of his descendants an Israeli Jew by the name of Jesus having a nail hammered through his feet the very feet that Tony provided him with as, as, a, as a punishment for having a sort of schizophrenic discourse with a god who was created by man to explain the existence of feet in the absence of the knowledge of the existence of Tony. <laughs> I, I think that would blow his little fishy mind. This religious friend of mine, uh, arguments often end with him telling me that I'm not very open-minded. And because he's my friend and I respect him, I've written him a song. Uh, It's called, If You Open Your Mind Too Much, Your Brain Will Fall Out. (laughs) Which I think is brilliant. Uh, It's so, so clever. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't come up with it myself. I I read that in a book. Uh, so to avoid copyright issues, I've given it a subtitle, uh, which is Take My Wife! <laughs> if anyone can show me one example in the history of the world Of a single psychic who's been able to prove Under reasonable experimental conditions that they are able to read minds And if anyone can show me one example in the history of the world Of a single astrologer who's been able to prove Under reasonable experimental conditions That they can predict future human events by interpreting celestial signs And if anyone can show me one example in the history of the world Of a single homeopathic practitioner who's been able to prove Under reasonable experimental conditions That solutions made up of infinitely tiny particles of good stuff dissolved repeatedly into relatively huge quantities of water have a consistently higher medicinal value than a similarly administered placebo. (laughs) And if anyone can show me one example in the history of the world of a single spiritual person who's been able to show either empirically or logically the existence of a higher power with any consciousness or interest in the human race, 
or ability to punish or reward humans for their moral choices or that there is any reason other than fear to believe in any version of an afterlife. <laughs> I will give you my piano. One of my legs and my wife. I've done this once before, way back in the past, about two years ago on Digital Cowboys. I'm not sure how many of you folks realise when making a podcast how many times human beings say er uh, during a sentence. Er uh, or um or ah uh, or er. Uh. And uh, I have to take each and every one of those out if it makes the podcast sound bad. Tonight, here are all of those ers, ums and ahs reinstated into the podcast. Never let anybody tell you that editing is an easy job. And this is nothing against Dan and Tony. You guys are consummate professionals. In fact, the worst offender is me. You know, um, uh, uh, um, um, uh, um, uh, um, um, uh, um, 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 you know, um, you know, you know, uh, uh, um, um, uh, um, 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 And a big thank you once again to James Portnow for his... Di- <laughs> just out. <laughs> Shut up, cat. You stupid cat. I'm going to huff you.